We are walking through 1 Thessalonians together as we think about what it means to, to, to stand firm, and especially in uh, the, the challenges that we face in normal everyday life. What does it take just to just stand firm? Well, the, the book of 1 Thessalonians helps us with that. We looked at uh, part of chapter 1 last week. We're going to look at part of chapter 2 this week. But throughout the series, we are learning together uh, kind of a memory verse. I say it's a memory verse. It's really three. But two of those verses are only two words each. They're very short. So it feels like just one verse. Let's, let's look at our memory verse again. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That kind of sums up the whole book, and it sums up the, how we learn to stand firm. It tells us some specific things that we want to make sure are parts of our lives. So now that you've heard it last week, you heard it again this morning, I want you to read it with me. Let's read the verses together. Ready? Rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And we'll look at it again next week and read it together. When we get to the last week of the series, I want us to be able to say it without it being on the wall, all right? So some of y'all, you're going to have to do a little homework to get that down. But I want us to learn 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. So this morning we continue our series, Standing Firm, and specifically we're going to talk together about standing firm in suffering, standing firm in suffering. We're going to look, uh, like I said, in chapter 2, if you'll start with me there in verse 13 of chapter 2, it's the same verse that uh, Savannah just shared with the kids. I want us to look at it uh, pretty carefully, and we'll look at those two verses, 13 and 14. He says, we also thank God constantly for this. Now, that means he's pretty grateful about something. We thank God constantly for this. I mean, this is, you, you know, at Thanksgiving, uh, we have been taught and we have trained ourselves to stop and think through all the things that we want to be grateful for. But there are some things in life that are such wonderful blessings, we don't have to stop and think about them once a year. We're just always grateful for those things. Maybe that's family for you. Maybe it's job. Maybe it's, you know, whatever. There are certain things in your life you're always grateful for. One of those things for Paul was what he saw in the church at Thessalonica. That's just, that's really kind of mind-blowing that he would look at a group of people and say, I'm constantly thankful for you. That's pretty incredible. It's a challenge as well. I wonder how many of our churches today Paul would be able to look at and say, man, you know what? I'm always grateful for you. You guys get it. Listen as he speaks to them. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, 
which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. He's writing to people who are suffering. They're undergoing persecution. And he says to them, in the midst of your suffering, I'm grateful for how you're handling things. In essence, he's saying, even in your suffering, you have learned to stand firm. Thank God for that. And so I want us to just kind of slow down and look at these verses because in these verses, he shows us how we stand firm in suffering. Notice, first of all, that we, we stand firm in suffering as we receive the word of God within us. We receive the word of God within us. He says in, in 13 again, did you notice there's two very similar verbs? He says, we thank God constantly, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Those two sound very similar. You received it and then you accepted it. They're actually uh, very, very different in some ways. You received it basically means it came in your ears. You, you heard it. When we talked to you, you were receptive, and so you heard God's word. But then he says, not only did you receive it, but you accepted it, which means you welcomed it into who you are. Friends, that's how we stand firm in suffering. We receive God's word, but then we, all, we accept it. We let it become a part of our lives. You see, the world is full of confusion. Some of the world is full of lies. There's, there's constantly um, just multiple messages being sent to us. We're bombarded with definitions of truth constantly and so it can be very confusing. But if we can learn to stand firm by not only receiving, but accepting God's word, well, then we have that truth to guide us. The psalmist says, I have hidden thy word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden it in my heart. See, here's how this works. When you read or hear God's word, it comes in through the senses, right? Either your eyes or your ears, it comes in. Well, now you got to figure out, what am I going to do with that? It's in here. The next step is to let your brain receive what came in through your senses. So you think about what you just heard or read. You know, many of us like to do the, a plan where you read the Bible through every year. Uh, 
I, I really, I do. I, I, I like doing that. I think it's very helpful. It's good for me personally. But the danger that I find for myself is I'll listen to it that day and check off the checklist. Okay, I did it. I, I usually do the Bible through uh, listening instead of reading. And so I, sometimes I'll listen to that day's text and check it out. Okay, I did it and move on to the next thing. Aren't I a good little boy? And the problem is what I've done is I've let it come in the senses, but I didn't let it go any further. I didn't let it actually get into my brain and think on it. The psalmist says, thy word have I hidden in my heart. That's the next step. Once it comes in the senses, I'm going to let my brain wrap around it and think on it for a minute. And then I've got to move it to my heart. How do I do that? That same Psalm, Psalm 119, says that I meditate on it day and night. It is meditating on it that takes it from my head to my heart. Meditating is, is not something goofy and weird and, and, and freaky. It just means I'm going to pay attention to it long enough to let it sink in. So it's going to come in through my ears or my eyes. I'm going to let my brain wrap around that. I'm going to think about what I'm reading and hearing. And then I'm going to keep working on it. I'm going to keep meditating on it so that it sinks in and it finally becomes a part of who I am. When we receive, when we accept his word into us, then we can learn to stand firm and it guides us. So as we think about receiving the word within us, I think there are three steps. One is we accept it. We accept it. Jesus, in Matthew 13, Jesus tells the parable of the, of the soils. You remember that story? Farmer is throwing seed everywhere. Some of the seed falls on rocky ground. Some of it falls where there's a bunch of weeds. And some of it falls off to the side. Some of it trampled and, you know... And then there's some that falls on the good soil. Where it's rocky, it, it, it kind of grows a little bit, but there's not, it, there's, there's not enough ground to, make, to get good roots there, you know. Where it's weeds, it, it grows up, but then the weeds choke it out. The distractions of the world and the confusion of the world chokes it out. But it's the, seed, it's the, the soil that really receives the seed, that accepts it that lets that grow. Jesus calls us to, to that kind of reception. First, we, we have to accept it. We accept God's word into who we are. And second, then we appreciate it. We learn to appreciate it. Do you see what he says there in verse 13? We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. That's the first one, accept it. The second one, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Not only do we accept it, but then we've got to appreciate it. That means to acknowledge its value. This is not just another book. This is God's word. That's different from 
Grisham's word or Patterson's word. It's God's word. He says, this is not as the word of men, but as for what it really is, God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 reminds us that all scripture is breathed out by God. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It makes a difference. It changes you. It helps guide you so you can stand firm. But that happens when you appreciate it, when you recognize it for what it is, you value it. In a similar way, we continue to think of how, it, how we want to learn to appreciate it. Psalm 19 and verse 10 says that it's to, more to be desired are they, what is they? The words of God. Had we time to look at that whole psalm, you'd see the context more to be desired are the words of God than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, than the drippings of the honeycomb. We learn to appreciate it for what it is. How do we receive the word of God within us? We accept it, we appreciate it, and then we apply it. Once it comes in the senses, my brain's going to wrap around it. Then I'm going to meditate on it so it gets into my heart. So now it's kind of a part of who I am, but it doesn't make any difference at all unless I actually do what I've learned from it. We apply it. Here he says um, in verse 14, for you brothers became uh, no, the last part of verse th uh, 13, but um, as what it really is, the word of God, then look, which is at work in you believers. Now that you've accepted it, it does something. It works inside of you. That word for work where it says, which is at work in you, that's energeo. It's the word that we get our word, energy. The, the word of God has that energy within. It does something inside of us when we really receive it, when we appreciate it, when we accept it. It begins to work inside. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 reminds us that the, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. You may also have kind of rolling around in the back of your mind, James 1, where he says to be doers of the word and not hearers only. When we are hearers only, we're deceiving ourselves. We hear the word, we read the word, we think, hey, that makes sense. I, I agree with that. Yeah, I got it. When in reality, you don't got it until you let it get you. And then you start living it out. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. How do we stand firm? Well, it begins here when we actually receive the word of God within us. We do that when we accept it, appreciate it, and apply it. Second, we stand firm when we remember how God defines us. Somebody needs Somebody needs to look in the mirror today and you need to hear this. 
the mirror does not define who you are. Your enemies do not define who you are. Social media does not define who you are. Now, don't get upset. But you don't define who you are. If you have accepted Jesus Christ, if you have been forgiven of sin and you now live in a relationship with him, God Almighty defines who you are. Who are you in him? You are his child. Don't let your enemies lie to you about what kind of person you are, who you are, how you fit in the world. God defines you as his child. Look at the, look at the words that Paul chooses to use. Verse 14, for you, brothers, he calls the church brothers, Sisters, when, when he wrote it and when they saw it, they understood it to mean siblings. We're family. We're family because we've been adopted by the same daddy. If you've accepted Christ, then God changed you into one of his own. And if he's your dad, then we're brothers or brother and sister. Remember how God defines us. That, that status as a child of God changes how we understand the world around us. 1 John chapter 3 at verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. He defines us. You can stand firm in the midst of suffering when you receive God's word and when you remember how he defines you. I can't imagine what it must be like for God to adopt sinful people who didn't love him first. It blows my mind that he would let us be his kids. What kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. While that blows my mind and I don't understand it and I'll never wrap my brain around it, what I do get is this. I love Ashley in a way that I can't even express. And I would do anything for her. I'll give up anything to make sure that she's okay. She has direct access to me no matter what, no matter when, 
I don't care what's going on. If she needs me, she's got me. And Bryson kind of comes along with the package, so he's, he's okay. But do you see my point? God does not see you as just someone who bought into his religion. If you're a child, of, if you accepted Christ, you are his child. He loves you in a way you can't even fully comprehend and you always have direct access to your dad no matter what and he wants what's best for you no matter what and he's got what it takes to provide for you no matter what if you've accepted Christ God Almighty defines you as his own child we can stand firm when we remember that. Receive the word of God within us. Remember how God defines us. And then I want to remind you that we can stand firm when we rely on the people of God around us. We can stand firm when we learn to depend on one another. We'll face persecution. We'll face hardship. We'll fate, we, we will suffer. Many of us in the room right now are suffering. Let me just tell you that we can learn to stand firm through that when we receive his word, remember how he defines us, and when we learn to rely on the people of God around us. Again in verse 14, you brothers, sisters, you became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. You looked at your brothers and sisters in those churches and you followed their example. As they stood firm, you stood firm. You watched them. You let others who came before you be examples for you. The churches in Judea, that means the, the, the earliest churches that sprung up in Jerusalem and, the, and that area, they, they, were, they were rocking along for like seven years before the church at Thessalonica was even born. So they'd already been through, they are still going through that, that kind of persecution and that hardship Paul says, man, I'm thankful every day that you guys learned to watch them and learn from them. There's an important word here that, that might be very easy for us to overlook if we're not careful. You brothers become, became imitators of the churches, plural, lower C. The reason that's important is there are folks who say the local congregation is not important. I'm a part of the church. I accepted Christ. That's all I need. I'm in the church. Big C. But Paul recognizes the significance, the value, the importance of specific local congregations. He said, this church looked at those churches and grew from that experience. The point is, if you're a follower of Christ, you are not alone. Let that sink in a minute. 
Because hardship lies to us. Hardship tries to convince us that we're all on our own. That I've got to handle this by myself. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody understands. Nobody fully cares. I'm stuck by myself. That's what hardship says, and it's a lie. If you're a child of God, you are never alone. You never face hardship by yourself. He says, I'm so proud of y'all because you looked at these other churches he says, for you suffered the same things from your countrymen as they did from the Jews. You've suffered the same way they have, and you get it that we're all in this thing together. You see the examples of strong believers who stand firm during persecution and affliction and suffering. Jesus even said in Matthew 5, and this is a hard word at first, in Matthew 5 at verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Listen, friends, let's just be real for just a second. What you and I face that we call persecution, that's not really persecution. That's annoyance. That's inconvenience. When we're persecuted for our faith, that's just somebody being a jerk. Persecution is when the Jews killed the prophets. Persecution is when the Jews killed Jesus. Persecution is when Paul and the other, or Saul and the other Jews started killing people because they followed the way, they followed Jesus. Now he says to us, when we endure those ugly looks from people who don't believe, when, when we get those, those ugly comments on Twitter because we said something about God, and that's not persecution. But he said, when you face that, remember, you're not alone. And remember that if you got in trouble for being one of mine, I noticed and I'm going to reward you later. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets before you. If we're going to be able to stand firm in suffering, we're going to receive God's word within us. We're going to remember how God defines us. We're going to rely on the people of God around us. And we're going to rejoice in the glory ahead of us. If we jump down toward the end of this chapter, I want you to, I want you to look at verse uh, 19 with me. There are five chapters in 1 Thessalonians. And at the end of every one of those chapters there is a reference to the fact that Jesus is coming back. Every chapter in 1 Thessalonians ends with a promise that Jesus is going to come back and things are going to change. Look what he says, verse 19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting 
before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul says to the church, I'm so grateful for you. You guys are getting it. You guys, you guys are, have received the word of God. You've remembered how God defines you. You rely on the other people around you and, and you get it. And so I am so thankful for you. And not only thankful, but he says, he says when Jesus comes back, I'm going to be able to glory in you. You're my crown, church. And the essence of what he's saying is, Jesus is going to return. When Jesus returns, all this suffering is done. Many of us believe that all of the necessary prophecies have been fulfilled for his return. Many of us believe that he could quite literally return at any moment. Don't know when he's coming. But I do know he's coming back. And I know that the moment that he comes back, everything changes. Nothing that you understand now will be, will be a part of human experience. At that moment, I believe we're swept up with him into glory. And as far as we understand time, we won't get into all that, but as far as we understand time, the moment he comes back is the moment that you and I are ushered into his presence forever. And what happens when that happens? Revelation 21 gives us a hint. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. You can stand firm in suffering because you know the glory that's coming. In another place, Paul said, this suffering that we have to go through, it's temporary and it's light compared to the great weight of the eternal glory that we're going to experience one of these days. Friends, I just want to encourage you, receive God. Don't just listen. Receive, accept his word within you and let it change who you are. Then remember how he defines you, not the world, not yourself. Rely on God's people around you as you go through stuff. And then remember, this is not all there is. This is temporary. One of these days, Jesus Christ himself is going to look you in the eye and you're going to be able to look him in the eye and he's going to say, welcome home. Well done. And then he's going to reach down with that almighty finger and he's going to flick that last tear off your cheek. And there's never going to be another one. 